there's nothing wrong with people identifying your gifts and pushing right. you in that direction. Now, the people who tell you to do it because, you know, they just enamored with your fame and what you do is something different than people having the discernment to say, you got an anointing on you. Right. Um, and this is something you need to pursue. That in itself is a call. In itself is a call. In itself is a call. Hello, I'm Adari Williams, pastor of the New Life Church, and you are now tuned in to the Unconventional Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Unconventional Christian Podcast, and I am your host, Ladoon Thompson. And today we have an unconventional Christian, um, an amazing reverend and pastor, and that is our good brother, Hodari Williams, in the building. What's going on, good brother? Not much, man. Excited about about this uh, discussion and, and glad to be on be on your podcast. Me too. I'm, I'm excited to have you on here as well. Um, you are actually our first uh, man of the cloth on here today. So, um, you know what? We usually we always start the, um, the podcast with a prayer. And, you know, since you're here today, I would love to have you uh, lead us in prayer today, if that's OK with you. That's cool with me. Cool with me. Yes. To an all wise and knowing creator. We come this evening first pausing just to honor your presence in our lives, to honor the many ways in which you have been with us, journeyed with us, enlightened us, touched us with your spirit. We go into this moment, conversation, understanding that our voice will be magnified in many ways, O God, to reach many people. And we pray, O God, that what we say is of a blessing and uplifts and liberates and educates your people, O God, ultimately, and that all that we do and all that we say might be pleasing uh, in your sight and in in line with your will. Guide us now in this moment, and we'll be so ever careful to give you praise and glory which you deserve for you alone god you are worthy amen 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 thank you appreciate that i always surprise every once in a while i surprise one of our guests because i know if i know somebody can pray i'm gonna let them pray because i'm praying all the time so i love i'm i'm always i'm still a student of the game you know what i mean so yeah i'm i'm happy to have you on here today um first of all um Tell us, can you tell me a little bit just about who you are, um, where you're from, everything? Just, just, you know, a quick rundown on who you, who you are. Sure. Um, I hail from a little small town there in New Jersey called Lakewood down on the shore. I was born and raised um, in, that, in that town. My family migrated from Jersey City. Um, so I am the, the youngest of, of, of five boys. I have three sisters. Uh, um, I was raised in two religious traditions. Um, I, I would say religious traditions and denominations. So my father was Baptist, um, and my mother's side of the family was Pentecostal Church of God in Christ. Um, and my grandmother was Muslim. Um, so <laughs> I've had, um, a plethora of experiences, very ecumenical in nature, um, 
as a child um, and, and saw both sides of, of, of both religions. Um, left New Jersey, went on to college, and in college, uh, my calling to ministry was affirmed. I always knew uh, from a young age that I wanted to, to exercise my gifts in the role of pastor. Um, I just had um, that feeling, that affinity. I was drawn to it. Um, and more so because I felt that was a way in which I could engage and do community change work uh, was through the church. Um, so I went on to seminary, graduated seminary. I served uh, after seminary. I served in Kenya um, under the leadership of um, Professor Wangari Madai, and I worked with women who were impacted by gender based violence. Uh, many of them Rwandan refugees who suffered through um, the genocidal acts uh, that took place in, in Rwanda and also did some small arms negotiating in the Horn of Africa. Returned back here, um, entered into to seminary and. Uh, I'm sorry, in, came back from Africa and entered into parish ministry um, mm -hmm. there in East Orange, started in East Orange, West Orange, and Newark, um, a multi-site church. Uh, I pastored in uh, West Orange for a period of time until I assumed the role of all three congregations um, there uh, in, in New Jersey and departed after 10 years and now am pastoring here in Atlanta and currently working uh, at the New Life Presbyterian Church, serving there and pursuing um, my Ph.D. at the same time in depth psychology with a focus in liberation, indigenous uh, psychologies and eco psychology. Whoa. OK, there was a word you used earlier. I have to write. I wish I could. I'm going to have to record them. <laughs> Rewind this later. I think it was like I can't remember the word, man. That was a good word, though. I just never heard the word before. Met Ecumenical. Oh, yes. Ecumenical. <laughs> I am not afraid to say I do not know. So <laughs> Ecumen I like I'm going to write that down later on. Um, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, what I will say to you is that. Um, I don't know. It's, it, it's amazing to to hear what service and obedience sounds like, you mm -hmm. know, um, being someone who's currently in this space where I feel like, I don't know, I'm not ready. It could be that moment where the dark night of the soul is going to happen for me. But uh, <laughs> I'm in that space where I, until I hear clearly what God wants for me to do. Um, but I'm in a space where I'm just being a, a, a ministry, which mm -hmm. doesn't, which is quite unconventional in its methods. Um, it's just more of just being of service to the people and, um, you know, just, just trying to really be obedient. Now for you, what, how did you know when, like, what was that moment that you realized that, look, I, I gotta be obedient to this calling? Mm. So, you know, uh, people are called in various ways and, um, I thank God for my seminary experience, which really affirmed my calling because uh, I didn't hear um, a voice. The sky didn't crack open. 
Um, <laughs> I I was first called um, by the community identifying my gifts. Mm. Um, and when we look at the various ways biblically and how people were called, we know that um, many people <laughs> were just identified as 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 prophets and leaders. Right. So from a young age, that's how I was. Um, that's how I was. Recommend. But when it culminated for me was a dream that I had in um, in college. And right. I, that dream <laughs> awakened me to such uh, a reality that this was what I was passionate. I was passionate about. This is what was calling my soul. Um, and I, I couldn't shake it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, uh, I remember that evening vividly. I woke up, I was, I was, I was crying. I was having a moment, uh, filled with, with just, um, awe in, in the fact that, that God was choosing me for something like this. And in my dream, I was standing before masses of people. I could see me from my, from the back. I was looking at my back, my head and the crowd. And, and I was speaking and talking and and looking at people were looking intently what was going on. So I reached out to my, at that time, um, family pastor, and he, he, he walked me through my, my, my dream and my vision. And he said, you know, it feels as if your dream is expressing to you a calling to prepare for ministry. So I'm going to encourage you to, to do that. And that's what sent me to seminary. Yeah. Wow. Okay. No, this is interesting. Um, uh, I'm, you know, um, one thing that's been a big conversation that's been amongst my friends and people I'm around is, is obedience, man. And obedience is a, is a, and it's so crazy. This is completely, I'm, you know, a lot of times I, I start these conversations and I have my ideas of where it's going, but this is, Totally not going where I thought I was going, <laughs> but it's good though. It's it's important because um, a lot of people are in this place where um, I think a lot of people are torn between being hot for God and also still being what you would say lit. You know what I'm saying? I say lit all the time because people don't see it being possible. It's like it's either you're a prude, prude and honoring God. But in the same token, being like a light in the world and still being cool. And it's that torn feeling of being like, man, you know, I don't want to be out of your will, God. But it's like at the same time, you don't know, like it's and it's it takes it takes real discernment to be able to understand whether, you know, whether you're being whether you're being hot or you're being lukewarm. And if you're being lukewarm, you're going to get spit out. <laughs> so it, it, it's 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 definitely very interesting to um to hear you talk about that because it's it's um you know I, I can't tell I can't put my finger on it, but it's something about your um your light that that I, I, I feel just in the honesty of this conversation and and it's still more to you know learn from you because um I think a lot of people are looking now, especially in this day and age for um, pastors or leaders who who really are what they say, you know what I'm saying. And one of the biggest things that now is a big issue um, for just like I would even say just for the Christian faith itself is that we've seen so many 
um, mega church leaders um, and they fall victim to temptation, especially temptation outside of the uh, union of their marriage. Um, what what is your advice to people who are like torn or looking in this space? Because of course it's easy for us to say, for me, I'm always going to say, you know, like these people are human, you know what I'm saying? And we still have to give them grace. But in the same token, it's like within the last two years, I've seen so many pastors fall and it, it's kind of tough when you're having those conversations with people who want to, you know, who were once followers of a church or a specific um, mega church. And now they're just like, well, you know, I'm just so disappointed with what happened with that pastor. Um, what do we say to these people, especially young folks? Because, you know, they're in a space now where organized religion is just such un- under such attack. Yeah. Wow, you said a lot there, and it's a, it's a lot. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm no, gonna, it's cool. it's I'm gonna run it back to the main question being, uh, what what is what is your advice to to people who are looking specifically at these pastors that are falling? You know what? I'll go back to this. Why is it that so many pastors are falling are are, are falling short in that specific in that specific um, place when it comes to the uh, marriage? Well, you know, there there could be. And as a as a, as a community psychologist and focus in, in psychology, there could be a plethora of plethora of reasons as to why um, we are seeing and experiencing um, the human vulnerabilities of church leaders. Right. Um, some of it is related. First of all, um, this is this is why I'm an unconventional Christian. Because the current form of Christianity in which we uh, find ourselves is a white, usually a white evangelical uh, form of Christianity and theology that separates the sacred and the secular, Mm. the flesh and the body. Um, And what informs my Christianity is African cosmology, where all of life is sacred. Um, There is no there's no division in that. The same, and it's going to be rough and hard for people to handle. I love it. There are same spirits and and feelings and emotions and 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 knowledge that I can receive from a brother speaking and and preaching and and hip hop that I can get and I can get it in 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 R and B that I can get in some of the same music that I hear in the church, right? But specifically. These folks, what we're we're finding, too, is a culture um, that many people fall victim to Um, pastors. A lot of pastors enter into things prematurely because they're trying to live for the people. Mm. Uh, They marry because they believe no one will follow a single man in leadership. So the first thing you do and as a pastor, I've been a pastor for a long time. The first thing you do is find a wife. now, <laughs> because you want to find a church and in the process of that, you have not engaged yourself in a relationship. You have not fallen, um, quote unquote, I'll use the term in love. You have not explored your desires with your wife or whoever it may be. You don't even know if you really like that person. And mm-hmm. then you find the pressures of ministry compounding upon you. 
And what happens is you act out in, in ways that, that engage, that, 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 that they label self-sabotage. Right. You sabotage your own success because of your fears that you have and the unresolved issues. And some of it, you know, it could be related to, to childhood, how people have been cultured, what they've experienced in relationships. But many pastors um, who find themselves in that situation as well, I will say they live divided lives. Right. Um, they find themselves having to present a mask to the people. Right. Live a separate life. Um, and, and, and you can't do that. But so long before it comes to a comes to a head. Um, you've got to be authentically yourself all the time. Mm. And, and, and that's a challenge for some for some people because right. they pastors live for the people um, and put themselves on the back burner. Right. Right. And, and I see it all the time because a lot of pastors. Um, I think that there are so many pastors that are. You know why this is why this is the unconventional show and the unconventional Christian podcast, because one of the things that a lot of these people are people who are born and bred in churches. Right. And they've never experienced what it's like to have that type of attention, that fame. And people don't you know, when Jay-Z talks about fame in that specific song, it's 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 really contagious. It can take over you. And a lot of these people are, you know, to be honest, um, you know, I use this term very loosely, but they can be very prude in like their upbringing, upbringing. All they knew was church. All they knew, they went to church. They went to Bible study on Wednesday. It was a church on Sunday. They, some of these people were raised in that setting and they never really had that street experience of being dating, like dating multiple women, getting your heart broken, um, being a player for a little while and going through a AKA so-called even men specifically, even going through that whole phase. I, you know, I use that term like that, but because um, women talk about a whole phase, but and specifically um, when I say that, I say that a lot of men have not gone through those experiences. Like you said, they just, they finally get to a space. They want to be a pastor. They know they have to be married. They find a good woman, somebody that they're that people are recommending to you. You don't even know this person. This person doesn't really know you. You guys haven't gone through the ups and downs. And especially in that time when they haven't dealt with a thing such as, um, they, they haven't dealt with a thing such as, um, I think specifically in just dealing with being, having to learn how to pivot. You know what I mean? Because relationships require a lot of pivoting. So a lot of these people are just going into this head on and not really even realizing um, what this really entails. So, um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I see it all the time. And a lot of times for me, it's, um, it's such a tough issue because I am a person who extends so much grace and I understand exactly where they're coming from. But at the same time, I think there just has to be like this prerequisite that has to be in place now for pastors. There has to be a new method that has to be in place and just highlighting somebody just because of their gift and their light. It's really like what, you know, how do they deal with these temptations? Because I think realistically becoming a mega church, even though you don't even have to become a mega church uh, pastor to become a rock star because becoming a pastor is like becoming a rock star. And I think a lot of people can't deal with that. Nah, not if you don't have the foundation to be able to manage the amount of attention that you get, you, you, you're going to get on a, on a, on a 
weekly basis. Um, right. Every Sunday is, is is surrounded with that that energy. Right. You're not rooted and grounded in yourself and you don't have that ability to check yourself and have confidence and not not manipulate your power, because that's that's and ultimately that's what you find is it is an abuse of power. You, you know, pastors are in a, a powered position and people depend on them and that power can be exploited. And that's what happens. Sometimes people exploit the power and use it over the people they serve. Um you know, and, and that's that's a sad reality. It's in mega church and small church. Um, it's in it's in the city church and the rural church. It, it, it happens everywhere. Um, but it's it's a it's a personality defect. Um, right. Um, have you have you personally felt like ego, um, like an ego creeping up on you in certain spaces? Have you ever really had a moment where you have to check yourself like? Wait, hold up. I am. Let me let me sit. Let me bring myself back down to earth real quick, because I know it's so easy just being in that space to if you don't have enough people to check you or like you don't have an accountability circle. It's so easy for you to get to a space where um, you can get out of pocket. Yeah. You know. Honestly, I can't think back to a moment. Um outside i think probably there was one point in in my in my ministry where i felt i had reached this uh just this pinnacle this high point Um, and my my actions were were starting to fall into traditional ways that i um had seen pastors you know And like you said, I had an accountability circle. And there's Mm -hmm. one thing that I've always firmly believed and has been beneficial to me is I have been in therapy and stay in therapy. Um, So that therapeutic process helps me and grounds me in those moments. Uh, But that that was one time where, you know, um, you have a you got a powerful moment. You preached a you preached a word that, you know, some people would say, you you know, you kind of knocked it out the park. Right. And, and and you feel some kind of way about yourself, you know, um, and 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 it goes beyond <laughs> you acknowledging the power of God to you thinking, you know, <laughs> you I'm doing my thing, brother, you're doing your thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and you got to check, you know, you got to check those moments. And if you don't check it, you know, God has a way, you know, you'll find yourself falling flat on your face the next time. Um, and, and, and you wonder why. Um, and, and thank, thank God that there were people around me, you know, specifically elders who was like, I see you, I see what you're doing, but remember who's giving you the ability to do it. Mm. And, and, and that grounds me. Nah, that, that, and that's, that's important. That's good. Cause I talk about accountability partners all the time, especially, um, just in my tribe, my circle of people that I talk to, that I minister to via social media. Um, and I think it's just um, like, I think accountability, like people, the hardest thing now is that a lot of people are unable to be accountable um, in this day and age, especially in our community. You know what I mean? I, I think that, um, and, I, and I'll keep it, and I'll put it right at marriage and stuff like that. Um, I think, is it important for 
there to be accountability within the marriage. It's important. It's, it's, it's valuable. It's important. It is, it is preserve. It is the preserver of, of a marriage. Um, folks have to be accountable to one another. But, and one of the things that make it so hard though, cause you know, we are, we are coming from a, we're coming from a place slightly of, I would say, a. uh, a setback to an extent because in our community, we're still trying to heal as a community from traumas, just in general, everyone's coming into relationships and we're all coming with swords and we're coming in here ready for war. Everyone's a warrior coming in marriage, coming in relationships. And it's so hard for us to get to a space of being accountable, whether it be men, whether it be women, no one wants to really get to a place where, Someone, I'm not even saying everybody, but it's a lot of people. And I see it all the time in conversations that it's hard for people to be accountable with each other. And hence why a lot of marriages fall fast, very quickly. Um, how, when it comes to marriage in the black community, do you think that it's currently in jeopardy? I'm not I'm not sure if it's if it's in jeopardy. I think um, I think marriage in in our communities has been a challenge just because of the lack of um, healthy models Mm -hmm. um, that we have. We haven't had, you know, we've really seen unhealthy models and some of the models that we have seen that are healthy are not relevant to our time. So, you know, maybe we had two grandparents who loved each other right. and, you know, grandma stayed at home and grandpa went to work and he brought the check home every Friday and, and, and grandma handled it. Right. The reality is today's woman <laughs> and today's man may be operating in the same way, but does a man feel like a man in a relationship when a woman is providing mm-hmm. just as much and does a woman respect a man who uh, doesn't necessarily bring financially what she can to the table. So right. you have those different dynamics that are at, at, at odds with each other. And then just how we relate, um, how we're taught to relate to one another, how we're socialized. One thing that has picked up for me during this pandemic is counseling sessions with people right. in marriage, because people have had to come face to face with realities that they were avoiding through work, through extracurricular activities, um, and now they have to be in the same space and deal with it. But I think what is happening is now the marriage roles and responsibilities are evolving and people in our generation are accepting that reality and being comfortable with it. So a man doesn't have no problem being at home, taking care of his children if his wife is out working, it doesn't make him any less of a man. Right. Um, so, so the role is changing. I don't think it's in jeopardy, but I think as time goes on, what we see is an evolution in, in the marital state within, uh, within our communities. Right. And I think a lot of people um, in my mind, I think that like people don't want to pivot because I think a pivot is very important in relationships especially marriage, being able to adjust because um, like you said, one thing people have not seen is a great 
um, model of what marriage is supposed to look like. You know, um, to this day, my standard, I have a I had amazing parents who were married and uh, my father has passed now. So, but I still was a person who was raised on love, but even in that space, my idea, it's still a level of romanticism is the Cosby show. I still believe that is possible <laughs> because they held, but then again, because of the things that have happened in the latter years, it's almost like now that, that that's a, it's a mirror that's shat. It's, it's cracked a little bit because now it's seen as, you know, it's, un, it's seen as unreal. It's seen as fictional. Um, do you think, do you think that, the Cosby show is still something that can be held to. I, I mean, me for me, it is. It's something I, I look at. Do you think that it's something that we can, that people can look at or, or is that considered a romanticism? <laughs> you know, I, I think that level of, of love, mutuality, mutual respect, camaraderie, uh, friendship, romance, all of those things are possible. and. Right. And I'm not speaking from just, you know, I, I would like to say in my own marriage, I am, you know, last week was my anniversary. We couldn't make it to Jamaica. So I brought Jamaica to my backyard. Still, um, <laughs> um, you know, the, the, I hired a chef, made sure my wife felt like she was somewhere on a Caribbean island. Um, and I think that's possible when people come into a relationship. This is the mistake I think people make. They come into relationships based thinking about what they can get. But when you come into a relationship thinking about what you can give um, in abundance, those things that you possess that are valuable, when you come into a relationship wanting to give love um, and not focused on receiving it, but giving it, uh, when two people do that, you create a synergy and an energy that is life changing. Mm. That was good. <laughs> no, that, that, that's, that's, that's good stuff right there. Like I, I, I totally believe that. And it's a journey to get to that space because a lot of times we are definitely giving with the idea of I'm giving this to receive something at the end. And to me, once you get to that space of I'm giving, giving, giving specifically because I hope that I'm going to receive this at the end, it's no longer unconditional because it comes is love with conditions. Yeah. Yeah. So how long have you and your wife been married? 12 years. 12 years. That's dope. Man. How many kids do you have? We have two and one on the way. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Pandemic was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they said. Pandemic nah, was wow. good. <laughs> Came out with a Rona baby. Yeah. Oh, nice. So you have uh, well, how, how many to boy, a boy, girl? Uh, it'll be three boys. Three boys. Oh, man. You didn't get the girl you thought you were going to get. <laughs> How did your wife feel about that? Factory closed. How did she feel about the third boy? She, you know, she she's just happy, you know, to have a healthy. I know she she did aspire to have a, have a girl, but um, she's excited either way. Uh, now, 
um, you know, that that we just going to be able to bring another healthy child into this into this world. So absolutely. What are some important things now that's necessary to maintain and keep marriages spunky? If that's the word I want to use. Well, understanding for me what has kept my marriage spunky and alive is understanding the individual side. And let me explain what I'm saying. Um, Understanding that my life is not my wife's life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have to balance my vocation while at the same time supporting her dreams and aspirations. All right. Uh, And in doing that, my love is not restricting. My love is not controlling. And my love supports her reaching her highest potential. And when folks reach their highest potential, there's a there's a flame ignited in a relationship that just can't be extinguished. Right. Two people are engaged in doing what they love and they are supportive of that. Um, It has created a great deal of spunk. Yeah. And then being creative, Um, creative and grateful. You know, sometimes we treat strangers better than we treat the people we are in relationships with. Right. Somebody does something for us that we don't expect them to do. We say we give them gratitude and we say thank you. The expectation in relationships is that the other person is always supposed to do this. or You know, if they do do it, it's just a part of our relationship. But the reality is. (laughs) No, it's not. And we still ought to express gratitude, you know, for what you do, Um, because you don't have to do it. You don't have to get up in the morning and make me breakfast. You don't you know, you don't have to fold a piece of clothing for me because I'm I'm a grown person. I can do that myself. Right. And when we miss that gratitude and we miss the celebration. It's something sexy about celebration. Right. Um, You know, it, it, it does something. And it affirms and lifts people. And that creates, man, that creates energy that just uh, takes your marriage to another level. Gratitude. Gratitude. Now you brought me to gratitude because you, you, I'm going to tell you, Pastor um, Reverend Hodari, you have totally taken me off where I was going, but I'm, I'm loving it. it. This is organic. Gratitude. Because I, I was listening to Darius Daniels yesterday. And, oh, yeah. oh, man. and he's he said, it doesn't matter how good you are to ungrateful people. Ungrateful people will always be ungrateful. Do you think that ungrateful people can change? I do. I do. Because I live with a sense of hope and the hope that my gratitude impacts you in such a way that you see the power and um, the life-giving component of gratitude. Because gratitude is just it's, it's a way of being. Uh, it's a lifestyle. Um, and I do believe that as people express that gratitude and show that gratitude over time, um, right. it has an impact on people. Um, so now I, I do want to touch on gratitude because gratitude is so important. And I think that we can talk about gratitude between people. But how important ha- is gratitude for you in your life and how has it like? How has gratitude affected you? 
gratitude has um gratitude has affected me in the sense that uh the more i am benevolent the more i show my uh excitement and gratitude for the things god has done i find myself not only experiencing more joy but also opportunities present themselves mm. um i try to be grounded in gratitude um i try to wake up in the morning grateful um <laughs> for for the day right and, and and conscious of how god can use me to be a blessing for somebody else you know i told my congregation the other day you know wake up in the morning just asking god can i be somebody's blessing today um can I be the blessing someone encounters? Right. And, and that's for me, that's that's the gratitude I am showing because of what God has so graciously um, given unto me. And I, and I honestly say, man, that that has. It has opened tremendous doors. Um, it has provided opportunities for me that I never thought or imagined. I could go down the laundry list. Um, of things that <laughs> just unraveled in my life um, and, and, and blew my mind. And I think it's all back to the gratitude and the appreciation um, uh, shown um, that God, that God opens, opens those doors and honors, honors that. Yeah. And one thing with that is so, it's so amazing for me because I know for a fact how life can be so, Life can be so strenuous. Life can pull on you. Life can make you forget to be grateful because you wake up and it's something else. It seems like it's always something else. And I think that for me, it's like sometimes you do need to hear and understand. A lot of people don't understand how much gratitude does open doors for them. And sometimes we get in our own way because we sit, we wake up first thing in the morning, we're complaining, we're complaining through the day about this, that. And when you say that, that gratitude, just like being grateful for the people around you, for the air you're breathing, waking up in the morning and just being 100 percent grateful just opens doors and changes your mind frame. I, I'm just like, I can't even express it enough to people. Sometimes it sounds so um, cliche when you, you say to somebody like, you know, just, you know, just try and be grateful for, for what you do have. Like, you know, what I mean, even when they're going through the worst of situations, because I've seen how grat gratitude has changed in my life. There are moments when I, I didn't have twenty dollars in my pocket. And well, I, there are moments when I only had twenty dollars in my pocket. And I remember hearing God say, give that twenty dollars to this lady. And I'm like, it's $20 is it. You know, I'm thinking to myself, like, this is lunch. This is dinner tonight. And I give the $20 to somebody. And next thing you know, I've had somebody walk by and say, yo, I'm just giving you a Holy Ghost handshake. It's $100 in here, bro. And it's like, you know, we could take it to the science of things. Is it that like when you take it to the science of things and you really are grateful and you're obedient and you do what God calls you to do. Like once you do it, God opens doors easily. But a lot of times we get in our own way and we're just so stuck because it's so hard to be obedient. And one thing I can say is almost a model for this show. 
when we talk about obedience, that if you're grateful, if you're not if you're grateful, if you're obedient, when God first puts something on your heart, it won't feel like such a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's that's been my motto. And 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 I, I love where gratitude is taking me in my life as well. Yeah. It makes a difference, man. We got enough salty saints. Um, you know, we, we, we need folks. We need folks. You know, that energy attracts energy. And you probably right. had this experience, man, where that that gratefulness um it just leaps onto others and, and they, they are attracted to it. And as that attraction leads to opportunity uh, and people wanting to be around, you know, nobody wants to be around folks who constantly, and I'm not saying that we all don't have moments where we're in the throes, but what brings us out of that is to pause. And like, you know, the text says, be content. Right. and, And look at what, what is well in your life. Right. Um, and what is going well? You know, I used to hear old people when I was young, they'd be like, I just thank God that things are as well as they are, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, I've learned, that, you know, things could be worse. I'm just thanking God that they are as well as they are. I wish they sometimes were a little bit better, but I'm grateful right now for what's going on. And I'm going to celebrate that. Right. Um, and, and that's been a blessing. Right. Right. No, so I do. I do want to get into some un- unconventional things here. All so right. There, there is this age-old concept of there is no little sin and there's no big sin, right? Now, one of the biggest things that we deal with now is the conversation about homosexuality in the in the uh, Christian, specifically in the church. You know what I mean? Um, it's just the unsaid and unspoken conversation i think that a lot of people dance on you have some people they're going to be hot there are some churches that are just going to be traditional churches and they're going to stick to their guns and they're going to talk about what homosexuality how 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 much of how much you see even me i'm stuttering here because (laughs) but it's a space where you talk about homosexuality and it's like it's a sin it's uh abomination um, but then where, where are we as a faith and as a church when it comes to, um, homosexuality? Is it a big sin? Is it a little sin? Is it abomination? Well, you know, we, we could get into the, into the deep, the depth of this conversation. Right. First, by starting off with the interpretation of scripture and what people understand homosexuality to be. Right. Um, and this whole notion of it being an abomination. First right. of all, this big sin, little sin. I don't see that anywhere in the biblical text. That's that's religion. That's religion. And sin identified in the text is that which we allow to separate us from God. Mm. We do that. Um, right. And the last time I checked. <laughs> the text says nothing, nothing can separate us from God. But when we intentionally put things in place of God and our relationship with God, we create that separation. Right. Now, do I believe homosexuality separates people from God? No, I don't. And the reason I say that is because, and people don't want to be honest about this, but there have been always in our churches and in our midst people who have been deeply 
in relationship with God moved powerfully. Um, some we don't even know about. Right. <laughs> you know, um, uh, who God has used um, in phenomenal ways. Right. Um, and I think when we get down to what we define as sin, um, we then become judge and jury around who is accepted by God and who isn't. And that becomes problematic because right. if we look at it, the fat person who is gluttonous yeah. and overeats, <laughs> that's, that's, <not. laughs> that's sin. That's um, you know, it's a whole lot of folks out here right now, you know, with these stimulus checks, cracking, <laughs> cra- cracking uh, crab shells and eating, eating crab legs. You know, and, <laughs> and, and what did what the Bible say about that? You know, um, we pick and choose because in the church, we always need an other. Right. We always need to other somebody. And unfortunately, in our community right now. And this is this is the this is the sad part of internalized oppression. For right. so long, black folks were othered. Mm-hmm. And now we're in a position where God has shown us some liberation and we start othering another group of people. Right. They're not worthy. At one point, we weren't worthy because we had black skin and God right. didn't love us because our souls were black. That's what white folks told us. Right. And now we tell folks in the LGBTQIA community that they're not loved by God because of their sexual orientation. Right. And for me, that's, that's problematic. I, I'm, I, first of all, I don't, I can't set boundaries on how far God's love goes or grace. I didn't draw, I don't draw those lines. Right. Those that's up to God. Right. I don't know how far God's love can go. I don't know how far God's grace can go. And I think if the church understood that we'd be so much more powerful, we'd be so much more inclusive. Um, but there's this innate uh, teaching within the church right. that we have to have somebody othered to identify as sinful. Right. No, that's 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 a very that's a great that's one of the best answers I've heard and and definitions of it. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's it's hard for me to have those discussions because it's it's almost like you know, being able to back it up and, you know, you have to get into those spaces. And this is why, you know, it's important for people to hear this from the mouth of leaders, because sometimes we may know, like I, I have I have a lot of um, friends in the LGBT community, um, LGBTQIA community, community um, and some of them are my best of friends. And but to get into a place of conversation, it's, it's, it's nerve wracking because you don't want to say the wrong thing. You might even in a space where you're defending someone in the LGBTQIA um, community, you could end up offending them by using certain terms as, you know, them other. Like you said, we other them still nonetheless, because, you know, people that, that separation is. Separ- separationism, I just made that word up, um, is is major. So, no, that's that that's that's important. I, I I think that um, and it's so important that more leaders in our community are vocal and 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 create that space because we're so divided as a community. I even talk to people about how divided we are. If you live in these communities, why it's so hard for uh. Christians and Muslims to to be unified 
because we're we're divided. We always one person's talking about uh, Ramadan, another one's talking about Easter. It's the memes. We're making fun of each other, and we're so divided. I mean, I started this thing called the prayer room, and a lot of people are coming into my and they're in my DM and they're talking about, man, you know, it's the first time that I've really been able to pray in the same room with my brother who's Muslim and my sister who's Christian. And it's just an amazing space because for me, I'm unconventional. I think we serve, we all serve the same God. And I create that room and I, and I see my, my Muslim brothers and I say, yo, salam alaikum when I see them. Because I'm greeting them and letting them know I honor your faith. You know what I mean? It's still like, okay, cool. You don't, you may not believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I do. And you believe that um, Muhammad is a prophet. Cool. I do not have to, I do not have to talk down on your religion or, and, and vice versa. If somebody does talk down on my religion, fine. I give them grace. It doesn't really bother me because it's almost like my father always used to say, just know whose son you are. I know whose son I am. You know what I'm saying? But um, for you, what do you think? How is it important for us in our community to come together as Muslims and Christians and, and stand united? You know, and, and that's that's the definition of, of ecumenical. That's the definition of ecumenical, you know, being ecumenical and understanding. That God speaks to people in various ways. Right. Um. And through various mediums. And I have had experiences in my life praying in a mosque and feeling the same spiritual energy and power that I had at a Wednesday night prayer meeting, you know, in, 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 the, in the Protestant church. Right. But it comes down for me, it comes down to respect. Um, so often Christians are just blatantly disrespectful. Um, it's either our way or no way. It's right. either our God or no God. Um, we pray publicly in that way. Right. Um, we don't honor the um, and respect the ways in which other people name God. Right. You know, first of all, God is a German word. We right. don't, you know, we 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 use a German word. And we upset about the fact that somebody Muslim refers to God as Allah. That's right. a Muslim word. That's that's how they identify God. If I was on the 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 uh, the west coast of Africa, he'd be Oludumare. If I was, you know, anywhere else, he would he would be um, he'd be he would be Yahweh. He yeah. would be Adonai. He'd be Elohim. You know, um, all of those different names that we 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 hear and experience. We get tied up in that. Um, and, and that's been problematic in, in church and culture in general. And I think if we just respected um, the fact that we all, as you say, are praying to the same, we're identifying that there's a greater source right. than us. Right. What I call him, what I name him or her um, is different. And that, that messes some people up because, you know, God's got to be a male figure, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, you know what? First of all, let me just commend you on saying a little Mari very well, being that I'm Nigerian. <laughs> that was, that was, uh, that, that would have threw me for a loop. I would have definitely looked left field at you. Like, <laughs> nah, that's good. I mean, I, I love like to hear, like I said, it's just being able to be in a space where we have these, 
these uncomfortable conversations. And I feel like we need to have more of them because we're not having these conversations. What it is, is that like everyone's just in their shell. And one of the biggest things that's been strong in my movement now is just being vulnerable and being transparent. And a lot of people aren't being vulnerable and transparent. Um, We're not talking about trauma. We're not talking about the traumas that a lot of people have endured in our community. Um, just from whether it's child, whether it's physical abuse, whether it's sexual abuse, whether it's molestation, whatever these things that we're talking about that are these childhood traumas that are that are killing us from the inside. You know, what I'm saying we're holding on to these traumas and these resentment resentments and our body is taking count. Mm-hmm. Um, and trauma is a big topic in, in, in just pop culture right now. But why do you think it's so hard for men? To specifically to deal with it head on because the way we've been cultured we've been cultured to think number one that we're strong enough to handle our our trauma and that our weakness is in expressing the need for assistance with our trauma right. um, and and that 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 is that that's that's the evil of patriarchy mm-hmm. um um, patriarchy is the is the is the evil twin of oppression and patriarchy does damage to us because we feel as if we have to maintain this form of hyper masculinity that makes us more powerful um, when in actuality we're suffering. And as you said, um, many of us are carrying transgenerational trauma, trauma that has been handed down to us um, and especially black men in America. You know, outside of the the familiar, the, the family trauma we've experienced, we've had tremendous amounts of societal trauma inflicted upon us. Right. Um, um, and we live out of that trauma most times and not identifying with it. But feeling like, you know, I'm a man. I just man up. You know, we we tell little children, little yeah. boys, man up. So they're taught from a young age that crying and expressing my emotions, um, which is healthy for trauma. We've been given, as I tell people, we've been given emotions as pressure valves to release those things which have adversely affected us. But when you tell people to close those pressure valves, that pressure builds up internally and it shows up in different ways. Um, And we have to, as men, we have to change the way we understand and identify manhood because it's killing us. Right. Right. And and that's real, because I think that one of the things, especially as a spiritual leader and and reverend and pastor, I think that um, one thing that is very crucial now is how the church implements mental health work with prayer, because one of the things I've heard in the past and, you know, now we're, we're a little bit more um, aware, but I don't think that like it's either prayer or mental health. It's, it's not both mm-hmm. that are um, hand in hand. And that's, it's something that needs to be implemented. Um, what do you think about that? I think it's important. I think pastors ought to encourage um, their congregation beyond, you know, so, so I do counseling. But I also recognize my limitations. I recognize where a psychotherapist may be better for an individual. 
And I don't hesitate to recommend them, to send them, to understand that we have to have folks in our congregation who are trained to identify what they call mental health aids in the congregation to understand when people are in crisis um, and to be able to offer that. And everything that we do in the church, we always believe because we didn't have resources. Right. The point where prayer was all we had. And ain't nothing wrong with that. I think prayer, prayer can do phenomenal things, but also prayer coupled with mental health counseling and therapy um, is life changing. And, and more, more of our people need to push pastors particularly need to push that. And they first need to start with themselves. Right. Because if you're vulnerable and transparent about the fact that I go sit down in somebody's chair because life presents itself sometimes very challenging. You give people in your pulpit, in your pews, freedom to do the same. Right. No, that's that's so important because I think that, like as we can say, faith without works is dead. You know, faith is the prayer to me. The works is the self work, the inner work that we do to try and heal. Because I've always said that um, um, once you deal with your childhood traumas, is that you create the unlock, the aha moment that leads to where pure joy and happiness reside. And I think a lot of people just have avoided it, man. And a lot of people are dying internally because they are not willing to do the work. And a lot of women, I mean, I, you know, I don't pick sides, but I do say and I acknowledge what I see. A lot of women, especially black women in our community, are dealing with because women are actually you no know, easier. They're a lot more open to uh, dealing and healing. But men, a lot of women are now dealing with a lot of women are dealing with the fact that they're they're taking on these men who have decided not to do the trauma, to not to do the self-work and not deal with their trauma. And now they're just in this like cycle. It's a cycle that we have to break. And I say it's part of what people call generational curses for us. You know what I mean? The inability to be vulnerable, the inability to be transparent and the 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 inability to do the self-work to heal to heal so right man so right and 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 women themselves have had the burden of having to be the strong black woman um and what i'm seeing now is 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 this this change this evolution um to want to be to be whole and i think that's at the end of the day the question becomes do you want to be whole and in being whole you have to really explore those things which have which have have laid you out um, in life uh, and 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 men in particular. I'm one of the things I'm passionate about um, is is the impacts that that, that we can have on, on, on black men. And that's that that encouragement, that 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 building of self and understanding of self is important. Um, and that's work the church needs to engage in. Now, I do think there's another part that we're missing, um, but that is the piece that we need to engage into. Right. And, and, and this, this is probably my last question as far as um, that goes, as far as when it comes to like people talk about being unequally yoked. Do you think that it's possible for a whole person 
a person, maybe a female or a male, who is whole that engages in a relationship with somebody that is not whole? Do you think it's possible for them to have healing or do they have to do the self-work separately? Um, that, that's, that's a great question. I think the, the, the work can be done together um, and the work can be done separately. I think it's a both and. It depends on the couple. It depends on the relationship. Um, where it gets challenging is if it is a relationship of codependency. If it is a relationship where I'm enabling you and not really pushing you, um, or, or, or I won't say pushing, but supporting you in that change work that needs to take place. Um, so yeah, you might need to do that on your own. Um, but I do think just from experience that couples can do that together. Um, if their heart is in it, if they desire to, to do it, and if they have the right support structures and they have the right tools to do it. Um, but so often, unfortunately, we come to these relationships with empty toolboxes. Um, we're not equipped to, to, you know, we use in a screwdriver when a hammer is needed. Um, and, and the challenge becomes understanding that we need to equip ourselves um, to be able to be that kind of support to someone else um, in a relationship. So if, if that is support is there and if you have those tools and mechanisms to be able to do it, then it can work. But right. if not, it's detrimental to, to both people. Right, right. And you, and you mentioned codependency because this is a conversation that and I could go on for days. I could get deeper and deeper. But we're talking when you talk codependency, um, what does codependency look like nowadays? So people people hear the term, but a lot of people actually don't know sometimes what codependency looks like. Yeah, I mean, codependency is 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 really uh, it, it comes down to like being a crutch where you are. are um, dependent upon that person or that person becomes for you, your source, your source of strength. And you, you, you take what, what you should be doing internally for yourself. Um, and, and you depend on someone else to do that for you. And then that individual thrives off of you depending on them. So, you know, they have that, um, what we call the Messiah complex. They, 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 they feel it's their job to save you. So they're, they're constantly feeding off of you, um, you know, sucking the life energy out of them to do that. Um, and that codependency never leads into a healthy place. Um, people have to get to a place of individuation where you are on a soul journey to find what feeds you um, and right. makes you an individual. Um, and, and that's, that's what becomes healthy, but in codependency, um, you, you use the other individual in ways that is unhealthy for your own development. Mm. I, this is a conversation I hear it's in my DMS it's in messages. And I would love to just touch on this last question in regards to this like B to that. What is your, if you had to give, um, any solutions to codependency, what would they be? Because a lot of people can't, a lot of people can't go to therapy. They can't afford therapy. So their therapy is YouTube and therapy is coming to places like this and hearing these conversations. So when you, when you talk to people who are in codependent situations, what are some, um, what are some solutions to it? Well, we all can't afford therapy, but there are ways in which we can, um, we can access therapy. 
um, you know, and I would encourage people to really explore that, to really free yourself from that. Um, I would also encourage people to do who find themselves in those codependent relationships. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to identify it when you're in it. Right. Um, you kind of need that outside uh, <laughs> voice to say, you know what you are, what you're talking about and displaying is a codependent relationship. Uh, most times people in it can't see it. Right. But if you do see it, then then you need to really start, I would say, start uh, finding ways um, through journaling, through uh, conversation with with others and setting boundaries um, and setting um, goals to kind of remove yourself from being so dependent and engage in soul work, soul work, searching your soul to find your own power. And your and, and what and what feeds you, what gives you that power, um, and that that becomes important if people engage in that soul work. That's that's what psychologists would call individuation, right. setting off on a journey to find out who are you, um, right. you know, in this in this world, and and that could be the process of freeing yourself from a codependent relationship by just engaging in a journey to find out who you are. Mm. That's good stuff right there. That that right there is a bar. <laughs> that's a bar and necessary. I mean, I could do this. I could go on and on and on in this conversation because this is just important stuff. And I hear about it and I talk about it. And, you know, even me, I, you know, a lot of these things I I see myself. I see pieces of myself in, um, especially when we talk about, you know, we from minute of cloth to talking about um, sin is sin, um, black family. Trauma, all of these things are just conversations that are so important and, and are not had a lot. So usually when we rap, right before we rap, we do this rapid, rapid questions. And, um, you know, hopefully um, we can get the best answer out of you. OK, so, <laughs> you go to rapids. Snowfall of the wire. Wire. Mm. Moses, David or Abraham and why? David. Because David did his own thing. He didn't rely on Saul's armor. Mm. Biggie or Tupac? Biggie. Mm. That surprised me with that one. Jay-Z or Nas? Nas. Surprising me, uh, Rav. You're surprising <laughs> me here. <laughs> I, can't, right. I can't shake Illmatic. I'm sorry. I just can't. <laughs> um, Jordan, LeBron, or Kobe? Mm. Who's the GOAT? Jordan. Mm, love it. Okay, so then I might know the answer to this one. Jordan 1s or Adidas Shell Toes? Jordan 1. Ah. <laughs> and the last question is, what is your vice? My vice? Mm. Yeah. What's that thing that, that someone might call you an unconventional Christian for? Oh. Uh, scotch and cigars. Ah, nah. <laughs> so, okay, cool. So now we're here. The last bonus question goes into Hennessy or Remy? Mm, Hennessy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I got to go with the Hennessy. I have to take me to the hood. <laughs> Get the four Remy. <laughs> Look, Reverend Hadari, I, I appreciate you. I feel like I'm gonna need a part two of this. Uh, I feel like I'm gonna need you on a on a roundtable conversation with some amazing men that I that I consider my accountability partner. I'm even after this call, I might have to hop on a call on mentorship from you. Um, I'm super appreciative of this conversation. Um, this is definitely one of those times where God sat us down and he stood up. And, I, and I'm so thankful and uh, grateful for this conversation. Well, man, I just want to tell you, I, I'm a fan of, of your work and what I have seen. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity to have this dialogue anytime we can get together. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff I'd like to talk about that we haven't. Um, but, you know, any any time, feel free to reach out and, and may God continue um, to light your path, man, and show you um, what's before you because you, you're doing a great work. And I, I, I applaud that. Thank you. And I appreciate having you on here today. And that's another episode of The Unconventional Christian. And y'all have a blessed one.